Who's who's the biggest risk taker in the room here? No one wants to own up to it. I heard the phrase big risk, little reward, is that right? What have you done, Matt? Older brothers who oh. I like to follow around. <laughs> so, like, my entire childhood was a risk. <laughs> Your entire childhood. Yeah, following around older siblings can be risky. Uh, what else have you done? Josie? I stood on top of an erupting volcano in Vanuatu. You stood on top of an erupting volcano <laughs> in Vanuatu. <laughs> Oops. Well, they said it was fine and then they quickly rushed us away. Oh, wow, okay, there's a risk. <laughs> Uh, yeah, any other risk takers? Izzy's dobbing someone in. Tom says no. <laughs> no, I've never known Tom Norman to take a risk. All right, Karis? I said no to my first offer, like my first interview offer to get into medicine because I wanted to go on my own and be able to work for <laughs> As a risk, it could be your whole career down the drain, right there and then. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Very risky. You know what? I realised I took a risk and I left it late to print these outlines, so I know that I don't have enough. Anyone not have an outline that does does want one? There's four of you. I can tell. You can tell who was late. Toby wants one. Yeah, can pass that to Toby. Thank you. In your, uh, in your outline, you also won't find the, uh, the sermon outline, but that'll come up on the screen. Um, we're in uh, Matthew's biography of Jesus, and uh, let me pray for us to begin. Our loving Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we can uh, hear him speak to us in the scriptures. Please give us ears to hear tonight. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm not a risky person. <laughs> The bigger the risk, the more you have to lose, right? And I am risk-averse. So it took me a long time to, to ask Lucy out on a date. Lucy's my wife now. Um, but it felt like I had so much to lose at the time. We've taken out a mortgage, we own a house. That feels like a big risk. Now we've got so much to lose. It's an entire house that we have to lose. Some of you have taken a risk in rolling in your degree, not just taking the risk that you can pass your exams, but... Kind of taking a risk in the whole viability of an industry, aren't you? Oh no, I've... you've got a potential career to lose. Some of you will be fine, there'll always be animals, there'll always be sick people. Uh, imagine actually taking the kind of risk and, and, and gambling with a move overseas to a, a, a place where there is not much Christianity at all. What would make someone take that kind of risk? It's the kind of risk that we see taken here in Matthew's biography of Jesus. So, tonight we're listening out for who Jesus is and why people would risk everything to follow him. That's what we're listening out for tonight. And uh, uh, Kate's going to give you the, the brief outline. And It's, it's easy. It's um, just a sentence from the Gospel. Jesus says... Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Those are the four points we'll take. So we'll take point one, follow me. 
Uh, but first, let's briefly work out where Jesus has gone to live. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, Matthew tells us, or verse 12, I should say, uh, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That probably means nothing to any of you. So I'll show you a map. I love a good map. He's in Capernaum, which is way up in the north. Oh, look at that. I had drawn an arrow, but it's even lost its formatting there. And this screen is so big that I can't even point. Let's see. There. Yes. Capernaum's up there. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's um, it's a huge lake that it's on. And uh, I'll show you what Capernaum looks like today. There it is. It's uh, it's a small place, isn't it? It's not very big, but it is very exciting to have these ruins. This is some of the town, and we can identify some first-century ruins. In fact, look at this next photo. See that spaceship-looking thing? That's they've built that over the top of what is probably the Apostle Peter's house. Uh, we can we can tell it probably is his house. So this is the town that Jesus has taken up residence in, and this will be his base. For a lot of Matthew's biography of Jesus. This will, this will be uh, where Jesus begins to preach. And have a look at what Jesus preaches in verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, turn back to God, because his king has come to rule. Now this is actually it's exactly the same message that John the Baptist preached just one chapter before but it's it's different coming from jesus because jesus is god's king this has been clear in matthew's biography from the from the very beginning matthew's trying to tell us that jesus is god's coming king and he has come to establish his rule and uh, if jesus is the king this is what gives jesus the the audacity to tell people to follow him Uh, He demands it, in fact. Look at verse 18. Uh, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them. Follow me. It It is a bold move for Jesus to make this kind of demand on someone. It's not an invitation, it's a demand. Follow me. And again, verse 21, he says the same thing. Uh, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Normally in the ancient world, you'd have a rabbi or a teacher and a disciple or a follower. And the disciple would quite literally follow the rabbi around and uh, and watch and learn. A bit like uh, some of your... Placements you might be following an agronomist around, watching and learning. It's the same kind of thing. This is what Jesus is telling these two, these four men to do. Come and learn from me. Go where I go. Do what I do. And this is what Christians are called to do. Follow Jesus. He's not just a teacher. He is the king. And so he states it with, with authority. Come and learn from me, your coming king. Now, for these four fishermen, it's, it's quite a literal command. Come on, he says, come on. I'm going over there, you follow me over there. Uh, like that game, follow the leader, go where I go, do what I do. But Jesus calls us to follow him as well. 
We are called to be disciples of Jesus. Disciples are learners. That's why at Christian Fellowship we are, we aim to be disciple-making disciples who know, live and speak the gospel of Jesus. How do we be disciples of Jesus? We don't have the particular human who he is walking around campus. We can't follow him around campus. Uh, How on earth do we follow him then? I think it would be a cop-out to say, oh, we follow Jesus spiritually. Be a bit of a cop-out, I think, because I don't really know what that means. I think what we can lock in is that to follow Jesus means at least to to show allegiance to him. Uh, It is to learn from him, obey him, imitate him. We can do that as we read the scriptures. We can do that as we read Matthew's biography of Jesus. In fact, I think that's what Matthew, our author, is, is setting us up to do as we read his biography. He wants us to have the mindset of followers of Jesus, of learners from Jesus and as we read Matthew's biography we'll pick it up again next year in term one but as we read Matthew's biography uh, we are to follow in Jesus footsteps learn from him bind yourself to him he is the king after all and so I think this is important to follow Jesus it is to follow Jesus not to follow a church or a doctrine or a preacher or dare I say a parent no it is to follow Jesus, the true king. So, well, do you think you know Jesus well? I mean him. I mean, do you know him well? Like, in the same way that you know your friends. Do you know him? Or do you know about him? To follow him is to know him, to imitate him, to learn from him, to obey him. Which is why we've started the year in Matthew's biography of Jesus. So we can meet Jesus. We can meet him and know him, and now hear his instruction to follow him. Follow me, says Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And this is point two. Point two, this is the the first pun that Jesus makes in Matthew's biography. Uh, Any pun fans here? Yes, a couple of tentative hands. (laughs) Will, you're a pun fan. We found out Kate's a pun fan last year at our national conference in front of 180 people. Kate said, puns make her laugh so much she goes weak at the knees. And that offended a whole bunch of Wagga students because they were like, oh, how come we haven't seen Kate weak at the knees? I think it's because we don't make good enough puns. Last week, Will was sick and I said, how are you feeling, Will? And he said, with my nerve endings. That's holy, puns are holy. They've been sanctified by our Lord because he makes puns. They are acceptable and good. That's right, isn't it? (laughs) This is what Jesus says to the fishermen. He makes a pun and he says, verse 19, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. He says to the fishermen that they will fish for people. You'll no longer fish for fish anymore. You'll fish for people. I think it's a wonderful image that Jesus uses. Um, It's very evocative. And uh, I've got two things to say about it. The first thing is this, fishing for people is a metaphor, not a program. Fishing for people is a metaphor, not a program. That is, I think it would be a mistake to start thinking of all of your friends like fish that you need to go and fish for, that you need to hook for Jesus. It's tempting, I think. It's tempting to bait the hook with the offer of personal fulfilment or 
happiness and use the fishing rod of emotional music and, and try and hook people for Jesus. No, let's not make the mistake of treating our friends like projects that we just need to hook for Jesus. They're not fish that we need to trick into coming to church. That, I think that would be a mistake to, to understand Jesus that way. Why? I think what Jesus is, uh, he gives, it's a pun. It's a clever turn of phrase. Jesus is using a, a metaphor when speaking to these fishermen. They're fishermen, and he's cleverly describing what he's going to get them to do instead. Fish for people. Follow me, learn from me, and I will transform you into something else, Jesus says. Follow me, and I will give you a much more important job than catching fish. But this isn't to say that we, we don't need to go fishing. This is the second thing then. Uh, uh, catching, catching people is a metaphor, not a program. But the second thing is being Jesus' disciple means being a disciple maker. Being Jesus' disciple means being a disciple maker. And what I mean to say is without treating your friends like fish, understand that when you follow Jesus, he does actually make you into something else. He does actually make you into more than fishermen, but fishers of men. Into more than women who catch fish, but women who bring other people into the kingdom of heaven. This is important, I think. Being a disciple is to be a disciple maker. That's why our aim is to be disciple-making disciples. Disciple-making disciples who know, live and speak the gospel of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus... I think that you are a speaker of the gospel. I think that, that should be normal. If your favourite sporting team does well, I expect you to talk about it. If you've got a new dog, I expect you to talk about it. If you've got a new tractor, I expect you to talk about it. Whatever you're passionate about, I expect you to talk about it. Likewise, if you follow Jesus and, and you understand that he is the king, that's revolutionary and I expect you to talk about it. I think that would be a normal thing to do. And as you speak about Jesus, about your church family, about grace, about joy, think of that as, as casting the net of the kingdom far and wide to see what fish are out there ready to be caught. They have nets, they don't have fishing rods. Peter and Andrew aren't, aren't, aren't they're fixing their fishing rods, they're professionals. They have massive nets, Kate's got a picture for you. They've got a massive net like this. This is the way they do it. I'll show you how they're doing it. They've got boats, and either they drop a net down, this is a big thing they've got, or another way to do it is with two boats, and you can drag the net behind, and you're scooping up big fish, uh, but you're not targeting individual fish. I don't want to stretch the metaphor here, but forget about baiting hooks and, and casting for individual fish. You've got a net. The net is the gospel. Let's cast it far and wide and see who the Lord brings in. Disciple making disciples. Jesus says, I will make you fish for people. And see how these fishermen react. This is our next point, point three. Immediately, they left their nets. That's verse 20. Look at verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22. These are the, these are the other blokes. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Immediately, straight away. They don't click interested in attending, wait to see how they feel on the day before deciding. They don't ask to go away and pray about it immediately. 
which I think is stunning because this is a big life decision that they're making and they make it like that. How long did it take you to decide to study at CSU? Was that a, was that a long decision? I think I made the call which you need to go to in about five minutes. It's a bit quick. It wasn't a well-considered decision. And that's a big decision which you need to go to. But it's not as big a decision as the decision to follow Jesus. The decision to become a Christian is a big decision. Because what I want you to notice is what these fishermen leave behind. The decision to follow Jesus is a costly decision. They leave their jobs. They even leave their family. Firstly, their jobs. Look at verse 20. I'll show you. Follow me. Uh, And verse 20, immediately they left their nets. What about verse 22? Immediately they left the boat. Their nets, the boat. This is them leaving their jobs as, as fishermen. I think this would be a significant move. Where are they going to get money from? How are they going to pay the rent? They're leaving behind security and stability to follow this guy who's just said, follow me. Would you find it hard to leave behind security and stability to follow Jesus? Would you find it hard to leave behind your degree to follow Jesus, your income? You can see that following Jesus can be costly. Now, I think primarily what we're talking about um, the, the turning point in your life where you first start to follow Jesus, when you first become a Christian. That's the costly thing we're talking about. And I think you, you'd all agree that we don't expect Christians, when they become Christians, to quit their jobs and enter a monastery. But following Jesus is a lifelong journey. And so let's think for a minute about the, the long-term sacrifices of following Jesus. I'm not sure in what way you might need to give up your career to follow Jesus. Maybe for one or two of you, you should give up your career and go into paid gospel work. That might be a massive call for some of you to make. But it might be a way for you to follow Jesus. But really, for most of you, I think you'll spend the next several decades of your life working out how to follow Jesus while working in your job while pursuing your career. And that's good. That's good. Jesus doesn't tell all of us here to quit our jobs. That's not what he's saying. He's calling these four fishermen. He's he's forming a community around himself and he's going to train them up and he's going to send them out. That's who he is telling to leave their jobs. He doesn't tell us to leave our jobs. But what you will need to think through is how to follow Jesus in your job. What we see here in Matthew 4 is that even then, following Jesus will be costly. Perhaps you have to forego promotions or job opportunities. You might have to work a job that you don't like for the sake of your family or for the sake of gospel ministry. You okay with working a job that you don't actually like if it helps you follow Jesus well? Your friends, don't waste your time fishing for fish when you could be fishing for people. Don't waste your time fishing for fish when you could be fishing for people. These fishermen give up their jobs immediately to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and they also give up their families. They give up their families. Well, that's especially the case for James and John. Matthew really highlights this for us. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They're in the family business, fishing, and so leaving their uh, job means leaving their family in a sense as well. And uh, probably not, not for good, they're going to see him again. But this action would have consequences for the family. I think it would be similar to farming if you've got your succession plan in place. You're going to work with your dad for 10 years and then take over the farm. Imagine going to your dad five years in and saying, actually, no, I'm out. That would have consequences for the family and for the business. And James and John, they don't want to they don't want to have that conversation with their dad, it seems, so they just leave poor Zebedee sitting in the boat and they just leave straight away. It's a massive call for them. It's massive and not one that Matthew expects us to, to copy necessarily, just leave your families. But the point again is that following Jesus is costly, especially if your family is the kind of family that values closeness, a family that is tight-knit then it could be a massive sacrifice to say, I'm going overseas as a missionary. Wouldn't that be a massive sacrifice? So friends, here's the rub. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you to give up everything to follow him. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you to give up everything for him. Becoming a Christian has to be a life-changing event. Uh, This is a, a photo of... German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's his book called Discipleship. Famous line from this book is, when Christ calls a person, he bids them come and die. When he calls you, he calls you towards death. My translation has it differently. Whenever Christ calls us, his call leads us to death. What Bonhoeffer means is that when you meet Jesus, it's like the old version of you dies and he creates a new version of you. The old fisherman is dead, and the new fisher of people is made alive. The old animal scientist is dead, and the new disciple-making disciple is alive. This doesn't mean you have to quit your degree, but when you become a Christian, everything changes. Everything changes. This weekend, I was at Yakandanda. That's where I was with the Aubrey crew. And I met a guy named James. He said he became a Christian 15 months ago. And we were talking, I asked, what changed in the last 15 months? And he said instantly, he said, oh, everything. The old James is dead, and Jesus has made a new James. Christ called him to come and die. And Christ doesn't call us to do something that he hasn't done first. Because when we follow Jesus, we know where he's going. He's going to the cross. The call to follow Jesus is the call to follow him to death but then out the other side again into everlasting and true life. So let me ask you, and this is our last point. Let me ask you, would you follow Jesus with us? These fishermen, they follow him immediately and and literally. They're off after him for the next three years and until he goes to the cross for their sake. And uh, after he rises from the dead and ascends to the Father, these men go out and fish for people. And they end up following their rabbi, their king, all the way to death. It does cost them. And I know that you've got a lot to lose. 
Maybe following Jesus will cost, cost you a, a career or a family. Yes, following Jesus costs you everything. But it is worth it. Because what Jesus offers to those who follow him is true and real and everlasting life. Jesus calls you to follow him. So friends, would you follow Jesus with us? If you would like to, then silently please join me as I pray to our Father. Let me pray with, before us. Our loving Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Please help us repent, turn to him, and follow him. May we follow our good King, whatever it might cost us, all the way to glory. Amen. If tonight you have decided to follow Jesus for the first time, please, please tell someone because that is exciting news and we'd love to share that excitement and share that joy. That's something worth celebrating. After we sing, we'll, together we'll celebrate our family meal, uh, the Lord's Supper, or we call it communion, uh, and we'll do that outside. But uh, first, I want to give you a brief chance to ask questions. This is your last chance to ask questions about Matthew's Gospel. If you don't want to stick your hand up, there is a QR code on the outline that I gave to Toby. And uh, you can scan that. It goes to a Google form. And you can ask a question that way. I'll get back to you during the week. Uh, but you can also stick your hand up. And I saw one already. Yeah. So I was just wondering, had they heard about Jesus prior to the meeting? Or is this just some random guy came up to them like, hey, guys, follow me? <laughs> yeah. Have they met Jesus before? Or is there... <laughs> Yeah, well, the way that, um, ha, uh, have they met Jesus before, or is the first time he's really doing something impressive? The way that Matthew presents it, it's more stark in, in Mark's biography, it comes right at the beginning. The way Matthew presents it is kind of hard to tell. I suspect that they did know each other, because did you see the size of that town, Capernaum? It's not very big. I, I imagine it's a relatively small community. Everyone knows everyone. That's what I imagine. And so um, oh, we have... Uh, instances in the biographies of Jesus where Jesus goes to his hometown and they're like what's the deal with this guy it's Jesus we know him he's not impressive and so he does seem to be known and he seems to be known as not impressive and uh, um, the way it's presented by the biographers of Jesus is that this is a, like a it kind of comes out of nowhere it's an instantaneous now's the time come and follow me and they do and so I don't think there's any build up I mean if there is, it's not important to the biography. But, uh, yeah, it does seem to come, come out of the blue. Um, there's no reason for them to follow him other than what we have seen already. And uh, that means like that there's no reason. Except for, perhaps, the work of the Spirit. Good question. Any other questions? Yes, Tom? Is this a pretty typical way to recruit Is this a... Now, is this a typical way to recruit disciples? No, it is the opposite way to recruit disciples. Normally, disciples make the application to the rabbi and the rabbi considers the application and then says yes or no. Uh, Jesus has done it the opposite way and he's kind of headhunted a few people, hasn't he? I don't know what significance there is to that, but Jesus does do it the opposite way to normal. Yeah. All right, I'll go one last question. If no one wants it, that's fine. There it is. Yes, Toby. Is it like right at 
How were the disciples quite young at this stage? 12 to 14, almost definitely not. They're professional fishermen. So I don't imagine 12 to 14 year olds in their own, like it's possible. They're with their dad. They are with their dad, but um, uh, if you're on a farm, you're working with your dad too. Uh, so no, I, ex I expect them to be adults. I expect them to be roughly similar in age to Jesus. But I can't think of anywhere in the biographies of Jesus that give us an, an age for them. Peter's married. Peter's married? I don't know. Well, Matt makes a good point. Peter is married. We do know that that spaceship thing <laughs> is over what the Gospels call Peter's mother-in-law's house. So he's married. So he's, I'd, I'd guess that they're older than you. That's my guess. But I don't know. I'll, I'll have a look into it. And if I find out anything more, I'll, I'll, I'll let everyone who's just, just asked <laughs> know. <laughs> it's a good question. All right. Let's call it there. And what I want to know now is... Do we need anyone to help set up communion outside, Elise? Uh, our welcomers. Our welcomers. And Tom also said he could help. So uh, during our last song, we're going to set up for the Lord's Supper outside. And uh, after the last song, uh, join us out there. But for now, please stand, because uh, we are going to sing our final song and reflect on the grace of our Lord Jesus.